Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. I just want to give a quick thanks to Euro Classics for sponsoring this episode. Your Classics is all about collector cars, from servicing your new BMW M5 to prepping your Porsche for the racetrack to executing a total restoration on your favorite classic. They do it all from routine maintenance to performance upgrades to appraisals and everything in between. You can learn more about its owner, Dale Oaks, by listening to episode number 65 of this podcast. And you can find Euro Classics in the Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana service area and online at euroclassics.com. Classics, C-L-A-S-S-I-X dot com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. All right, welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. This is Greg Stanley, as it has been for every week. And I'd like to introduce a special guest today, Blake Kaley. Blake, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, Greg. How are you? Good, good. Now, this is an interesting connection. So we met kind of post-Auburn, because you had bought a car there. And uh, we started talking, and you end up being a retired financial advisor, correct? That is correct, yes. I've, I've had about 30 years in the financial advising business. Yeah, in our brief conversation, we had talked about, or you had brought up, I believe, investing in collector cars, or collector cars as a form of an investment, and we talked prior to this call briefly, but I often, I often say, you know, buy what you love and you'll never regret it. If you're looking to buy with uh, profit in mind, you really have to know what you're talking about. So I thought you would be a wonderful guest to have on to kind of talk about, or to get your perspective on investing in collector cars as uh, an option, and then what that would look like to the average person. So if you would, could you just kind of kick it off and give us your thoughts on uh, collector cars as an investment? I'd be happy to, yeah. One of the things that I always preached to all of my clients through all the years that I was advising was you really need to make sure that you diversify your portfolio. So one of the things I preached was paper assets, paper investments are obviously what I made my bread and butter on. Those would be things like stocks and bonds and CDs and mutual funds. And those are great, but you also need to make sure you have some hard assets in your portfolio. Hard assets would be things like real estate, precious metals. And I throw collector cars in there for the right individual. And one of the reasons you want hard assets instead of 100% paper assets is when things get really volatile, whether it's turbulence in the country or the election and or a virus going through, the market can get extremely choppy. And one nice thing about hard assets is they tend to be a little less volatile, and they oftentimes will go in opposite direction of what the stocks and the bonds will. So I think it makes sense for the common individual or the investor to have a few hard assets in their portfolio. And if you happen to be a car guy like I happen to be, then why not make it a fun asset with a collector car, a good old GM muscle car or, or something. One of the things I like about the collector car market is, in my opinion, it's a little bit easier 
to follow the trends as far as values of cars, what's hot, what's going up. It doesn't seem to change quite as quickly. And if you spend some time and do a little bit of research and reach out to experts like you, Greg, then you can start to learn what the trends are and look for cars that not only that you like, but also cars that appear to be ticking up in value so you can have a little bit of an investment return as well as what I call the fun factor or the smile return. Right, and you said a couple, a lot of cool things right there. One is you can't take your 401k outside and do burnouts in your driveway or your street out in front of your house, right? That would, that just doesn't happen. So there is the fun factor to owning a classic car. And I think what you said is key is, you know, it's a hard asset, but you don't want to buy something unaware of exactly what you're getting, correct? Exactly. You need to be not only... You need, you need not only advice from an expert on where the trends are going, but also you need help to find the right car. All Ferrari 308s are not the same. You need to know what to look out for, what to avoid, and if you want it as a collector car, from an investment standpoint, you need to buy the best that you can afford so that it will truly be one that's easy to sell when you're ready to cash in on your return. Right, right, and I actually... Just had a listener reach out and basically asked those exact questions, which was kind of ironic, the timing of it all. And he asked about four cars, and I'll, I'll give a brief, at least my response briefly here. But it was basically a Ferrari 575 uh, versus a Ferrari 599 GTB. And now those are both great Ferraris. And when I looked at the trends on them, I honestly think the 575s have kind of bottomed out. They kind of hit a high point about three to six months ago. They've gone soft recently, but they're turning back up around. And I've said recently on a couple podcasts, any of those cars or those eras, those exoticas that are manual transmission, those are one the ones to buy. And so when I was looking at those two, it really came down to a little bit personal preference. I said, I think the 575 is going to hold this value a little bit better than the 599. I'm going to upset some people here right now, but I think it's a better looking car. I think the, the looks will be uh, considered more classic, more restrained. And I think the 599 will continue to decline a little bit more because it's a newer car. And now, I don't know. We'll see if time will tell if I am correct or not. But is that the kind of deep dive you would suggest folks go through, look at some of the trends, what's going on in the marketplace, as, as well as what has happened recently? Exactly. That's exactly the advice that I would give, Greg. And, and another thing, obviously, you kind of hit on it. You want to, especially if you're buying newer vehicles for an investment, you need to look at what is rare. You don't want to buy something that everybody has access to. You want to buy something that's a fairly limited production. But as we've learned, as I've been collecting cars for 35 years, rare doesn't always make it desirable. Just because you may have a one-of-five car in ugly brown with beige interior and it's a four-door, making it rare doesn't make it collectible or valuable. So number one, look for rarity. But number two, look for something that just has pop and eye appeal and performance and things that the, that the average Joe is going to really enjoy 5, 10, 15 years from now. Right. Okay. Now, speaking about your personal collection, because I know you do have some cool cars in your garage, is there one or two you can give an example that you bought specifically for its investment potential? Sure. Um, I started out collecting mainly GM muscle cars, and back in the day, the 69 Camaro was just going through the roof. So that's what I focused on. I've owned a lot of different uh, Z28 and uh, 
you know, Yinkos, those type things, those are what, you know, back in the day everybody was looking to own. But now those have kind of peaked out and have kind of gone their way. So I have recently started to expand into the European sports car market. You know, I always told my clients they should have 80% of their money in the United States and 20% international. So I started applying that same exact reasoning to my car portfolio. So I recently bought a couple of Ferrari 308s. And talk about the fun factor. Up here in northern Indiana where I live, it is 65 degrees today in November. That's just rare. So I got one of the 308s out today, took my wife to lunch at a little Italian cafe, and it was just perfect. I can't do that with my 401K or my IRA. <laughs> right. So it just, it, the fun factor went through the roof today. In addition to the GM muscle cars, I'm going to say that the Corvettes, the mid-years, I've owned quite a few of those, but they, those I feel have really tailed off also. So I'm not really investing in those. I, I still have, I have a 59 Corvette that's a great little driver. And yeah, I got it bought right. So I'll probably make money off of it as I go to sell it in the future. But I think that market has come and gone. Right now, the thing to look for are LS-powered cars or pro-touring cars. I think that happens to be the hottest trend right now. So if you're going to build a car, which I've built a lot of my own cars. I just finished a build on a 1973 Trans Am that's a pro-touring car, and it's fuel-injected, Tremec 5-speed, vintage air, all the creature comforts I can get in and drive it across country, but yet it still looks like an old classic 73 Trans Am. Yeah, now that's interesting. You've mentioned switching a little bit from the muscle cars, and I, I really love the fact you called the Camaro a muscle car because I got beat up a little bit because I called a Corvette a muscle car instead of a sports car, and I called a Mustang. And anyways, I just reviewed it in last week's podcast. So uh, I appreciate you saying the Camaro is a muscle car, especially when you get to the Yinkos and the 427 cars. I feel like that is definitely a muscle car. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I, I did a deep dive in every generation of the Corvette from a market trends perspective, and the early ones were declining. The C2s even were, which is my favorite generation. And then some of the later items. So you're seeing some of the generational shift. So if you see yourself as a baby boomer, and you want to start liquidating, well, there's a lot of diff a lot of baby boomers out there that are liquidating their collections right now. So we're seeing a softness on 55 Chevys. Basically, anything that's 40s, 50s, and early 60s are pretty soft right now because there's a glut from a supply perspective out there right now, and there's just not the demand uh, to soak all of those cars up. So if you like those cars and you want to get a decent deal on them, you know, keep your eyes out. There's probably a couple deals out there. Would you agree? Uh, exactly. I think you're spot on on that, Greg. Yeah, and the other thing I love seeing, speaking about the generational shift, is I love looking at these auctions and then seeing what, in my mind, what is a generational shift car. And I saw it happen at Auburn. I saw it happen uh, on an online sale, and I saw it happen at Elkhart. So I'll give those three examples real quick, and let me know your thoughts on this. At Auburn, there was one of the cars that pulled up from one of our previous guests, the Dave Leinbach Collection, and it was, I believe it was, a GMC Cyclone. So it was a GMC Cyclone, and I leaned over to the person next to me, and I said, watch this. You know, see what this thing does. And I think the estimate, I don't know, was thirty to $40,000, and it hit $51,000. So that's one of the examples of uh, the estimates are not keeping up with the actual demand of the car. Now, have you right. seen that as well in the marketplace? Yes, I sure have. Yep. And, and let me just hit on something you said. You noticed that at an auction. I cannot put enough importance 
on attending auctions yourself. If you truly want to be a collector and truly want to be an investor in this world, you really need to be on site at the auctions and pay attention to what vehicles has everybody's attention. And you'll be able to tell. When a car that's super hot and the trend is going, it will have a huge crowd around it. There are lots of little cues that you can take from the public at an auction to see, okay, I better take note, I think these cars are starting to become popular. And just like you saw with the Cyclone, you're not going to get that just by looking up Kelly Blue Book or Haggerty Values or anything else. You've got to be boots on the ground watching and keeping an eye on what the current trend is in the market. Right, right. And the other two cars, I'll call it real quick. There was a Monaco Blue Acura NSX that sold at the Monterey Shift online auction. And I remember it was a seven-day auction. And when I looked online, I think the estimate was 60 to 70 grand. It was the only car in the auction that had already hit its reserve within three hours of the seven-day auction. So if you hit your reserve within three hours, you got to feel pretty good. Now, that also tells me the reserve wasn't quite high enough because it wasn't capturing that generational trend, that increased demand. And the car ended up selling for $93,000. So it really blew out the estimate of sixty dollars to $70,000. And then the third one I'll mention, uh, it was at Elkhart, and it was a used car in most people's minds. It was a 19—I'm sorry, it was a 2011 Tesla Roadster. And it was the uh, cover art for a couple episodes ago, electrifying results at Elkhart. And the reason I picked that car was for the same reason. It was a generational shift. This was a true industry disruptor from an innovation standpoint from the car world. And so it was the first generation of the Tesla. It was the Roadster. It was low mileage. I think it was under 3,000 miles. And so, you know, if you don't know any better, you would say that's a $20,000 car all day. Well, the estimate was sixty to $80,000, and it sold for $120,000. So, wow. you know, again, you know, here's your investment opportunities is knowing what are the future trends. Get it while it's going up. And then, of course, like with stocks, you got to know when to sell them. So I won't start singing Kenny Rogers right now, but you, know, <laughs> you, have, to, you have to know when to hold them, know when to sell them. So, yeah, what else can you tell us about your experience with the collector car market as an investment opportunity? Well, again, I think you kind of hit it on it before, but for me, there are two things that I was going to with when I look at a car that uh, that I want to invest in. And number one, it has to be something that I like personally, because just in case the car market goes flat and there's not going to be any investment return potential on it for a couple of years, then I want it to be something that I'm proud to own, that I like to show off, and I can take my friends out to the man cave and, and let them see it. So I always want to invest in something that I like personally and that I'm going to have fun with. And then the second thing is obviously just following the trend. And, and the, the, another thing is you want something that you can drive. Now, I've got a couple of cars that I've had in my collection that I would call trailer queens. Those are fun to own. They're great when you take them to national shows and you get a lot of attention. They look wonderful in the collection. It's the one that everybody flocks to when they come in my doors. But the fun factor is not there as far as getting out on the road and listening to the roar of the engine, shifting through the gears, and having people give you thumbs up as you're going down the interstate. You still need to invest in cars, number one, that you like, and number two, that you hope to get some type of a, a return on. 
So if you were giving advice to somebody right now, say, hey, I want to buy a car, how would you approach that? Would you ask them, well, you know, what what decade do you like? Is it a particular kind of classic car that you like, like a muscle car or more of a classic? Or would you kind of go, well, here's the three cars I think are really going to appreciate over the next five years? Well, the first thing I would do, because there's no one-size-fits-all plan to this, so the first thing I do is really get to know the person and know what are their passions, what what are they the most excited about? Because let's face it, the common person that's going to invest in a, in a car is not doing it just for investment return. I think that is secondary. The real reason they're doing it is because they obviously have a passion for cars. And they you need to find out, and they need to find out within themselves, what does that mean? Is this a car that I want to drive a lot? or just want to drive occasionally? Is it a car that I want to take to car shows, or is it a car that I want to go to cruise-ins with? Number two, how mechanically apt are they? You know, you don't want to get into an old, old GM muscle car because chances are if you take a long trip, something's going to happen, and you better know how to wrench on it or you're not going to get home. So drivability, dependability becomes extremely important. Also budget. You know, I would need to know really what is your budget because that's going to wipe out an entire sector of cars, just knowing what is your budget, what do you want to invest in this, and finally, how long do you want to hold it because that's key in any investment, not just the collector car world, but also into stocks and bonds. You need to go into it with a longer-term investment perspective because you're not just going to – you don't day trade in collector cars. There's too many expenses involved in buying and owning a collector car. You've got to own it for a few years to have any reasonable chance of coming out on the positive side of a return. Yeah, that's really, really great advice. Now, let's look at your collection and tell me one of your cars that was absolutely not bought for investment purposes, just for fun. Oh, my. That would, the current one right now would be my ZL, my Lingenfelder ZL1, that's 900 horsepower. At oh, my block. goodness. It's 732 <laughs> at the rear wheels. I'm not going to make money on that car, but I have so much fun every time I get into it. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, it's one of those cars that it, it's got a backup camera, air conditioning, cruise, power steering, goes down the road. If you keep your foot out of the supercharger, you're going to get 20 miles a gallon in it. But if somebody lines up against you and, and tries to go around, they don't stand a chance. It's just try to stay out of jail with it is really my goal on that car. Well, if you would, share with our audience the car you actually bought at Auburn because it's not a Camaro. It's not, it's not a lot of the things you've talked about, and I find it fascinating that that's now in your collection. Yeah, so that, that's a, a great example of uh, how I want to just kind of – validate a point that I made earlier, boots on the ground at the auction. I had looked all through Sotheby's, you know, online catalog of every car that's going through there, in particular this Dave Lambach collection, and this car didn't even stick out. I don't even remember seeing it in there. I had to go back online later to see, yes, it was there, but it's actually a station wagon. And when I tell <laughs> people I bought a station wagon, everybody says, Blake, have you lost your mind? But this car had a cool factor that is just through the roof. So what it is, it's, it's a custom two-door Buick 
sports wagon. And what they did was they took a four-door station wagon and cut the back third off, and then they took a two-door Buick Grand Sport, cut the front third off of it, welded the two cars together, made it look like it came from the factory because Buick never made a two-door station wagon in 1964. And <laughs> this car is just I actually was leaving the auction with a buddy of mine. We thought we'd seen everything, and it was time to get home. We're walking through the uh, you know the area where they're pulling in, and it's like, wait a minute, what is that? We need to go check this out. And he and I both walked over and looked at it. It has a modern 3.8 supercharged V6 in it, 700R4 overdrive tranny, air conditioning. I mean, it is just through the roof cool. And we looked at each other and said, one of us is going home with this. doesn't matter who, but one of us is taking this home. So we walked right back into the auction arena, and sure enough, I was the winning bidder and got to bring it home, and it's now in the collection, and, and it's just a cool car. So my first advice to anyone who's looking to buy a car as an investment vehicle is not to buy one that was welded together from two different cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That's that's your first clue. You might not want to have it as a, you know, it's not going to appreciate much, but you obviously no. will appreciate it. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Wow. This car was bought strictly for the fun of it. It's just cool. It's just cool. Yeah, that's great. That is awesome. Was there anything else you'd like to mention from an investment perspective? Uh, no, I think we've hit most of the basis on that. Again, buy what you want and keep a long-term perspective in mind and don't expect to get rich overnight on it. But just buy quality. Again, a, a good friend of mine, he actually was the managing partner at the firm that I worked at, was also a huge car collector. And he gave me the best advice I'd ever had. He said, Blake, when you're buying a collector car, always buy the best car that you can afford by quality always step up and pay a little bit more for true investment quality that is really really good advice so uh i would like to say that this kind of got me thinking about future episodes of the collector car podcast so what i'm going to do and this is this is what we'll find out if all my skill and experience and analytics will come to fruition is i am going to have an episode maybe once a quarter i'm not quite sure yet but it's something to the effect of the collector car investment portfolio and i'm going to either start with a, a modest budget or i'm going to start with a list of cars i haven't quite figured it out yet but uh, basically build a collector car portfolio and track it against the haggerty market trends and see how i do and then i'll buy and sell and i'll factor in storage fees insurance fees because you do have to factor that stuff in if you're trying to actually make money on cars and just see how i do over the next i don't know year and a half or two years so would you be uh would you be my financial advisor when it comes to that exercise? Sure, I'd be happy to assist you on that, Greg. <laughs> awesome. Well, one thing I like to do at the end of these episodes is to play a little game I called Keep, Catch, and Crush. I believe you're aware I was going to do this. I yep. hope so. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. good. Well, I kind of did this on the fly here because I wasn't quite sure of your taste in cars. So I've picked three cars. And now one nice thing about this Keep Cash and Crush is you kind of get a sense of what you think the investment potential of these cars are because one you're going to cash in immediately, so that ideally would be the one you think is worth the most. One you're going to keep forever, maybe the one that will appreciate the most. And then one you're going to crush, meaning you you know it doesn't fall into either two of, the, two of those buckets. So are you ready? I am ready. Go ahead. All right. So the three cars I picked for you are modern muscle cars. Let's say uh, one of them is the Dodge 
demon. One of them is the Camaro. I believe it's called the Exorcist to kind of fight the demon. And then the third one, I couldn't quite get one to fall in that line. But uh, how about the last generation, last year, Viper ACR Extreme? I think there are only about 25 of those cars. So which one would you keep forever? Which one would you cash in? And which one would you send to the crusher? Oh, man, you've made this tough, Greg, because (laughs) there's no way that I can say send to a crusher on any of these. Um, (laughs) Let's see. I'm going to say cash in on the Viper ACR just because I followed them. They are hot. They're extremely hot right now. Um, They could go up a little bit more. It wouldn't surprise me, but the reality is I think now is probably a good time to go ahead and cash in on that. Okay. Uh, I would probably, uh, oh, this is going to be difficult for me to say because I'm such a Camaro nut. A buddy of mine has a Dodge Demon, and they are just cool. With that racing box and everything that comes with it and how you get it personalized to you, I'm saying probably keep the Dodge Demon, and and it's just going to break my heart to say crush the Camaro because I am a Camaro nut. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I got that recorded, so uh, I got you on the record for crushing a Camaro. That's all I really wanted out of this whole thing. So, um, all right. Well, cool. So you're going to sell off the Viper. I would agree with you on that one. And then I actually thought you were going to keep the Camaro, and then I thought you might crush the uh, Demon because it's more, a little bit more mass-produced than the Exorcist is. But, no, I respect your uh, answer there. So, Awesome. Well, uh, is there anything else you'd like to share as far as your passion for collector cars? If you're going to invest, then definitely make sure that you love cars as much as I do because they're just fun. My wife and I, just a couple of weeks ago, we've got an 87 Mercedes 560 SL. That's her little car that I bought for her. And we took it on a four-day cruise all through the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And it was just priceless. It was so much fun. And that's the car that I actually did buy to drive, but also I've been following the trends, and I bought it a couple of years ago. Those things are really starting to go through the roof. So, again, buy something that you love and enjoy it. Get it out. Drive it. I don't drive my Ferraris near enough. It was so great to get that little girl out, run her through her paces, go to the Italian eatery, come back, and put her away for the winter. Buy what you love, but truly be a car lover before you dip your toes in the water. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Blake. All right. Thank you for having me on. It was an honor. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.